0: Let us pray. May these words that I speak from your holy word reveal to us the living word, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Welcome to the beginning of Holy Week. This week where we remember, in some ways we reenact, the last week of Jesus' life. Which starts with this entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. The Jewish people had been expecting a conqueror who would come on a great white horse, ready to vanquish the Roman army that was there, ready to install the true reign of God's people, restore the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus comes on a donkey. Now, those of you who were here last year may have remembered, and for me, it was probably the most memorable, one of the most memorable things we did last year is we reenacted this. We couldn't find, well, we did we did have a donkey, but we we didn't want to have in the donkey in church because that would just cause a mess. And we thought, how could we play out this idea of the king coming not on a horse but on something that was. Ridiculous. So, we took our most esteemed member of the congregation, the wisest of the wise, Mr Andrew Parrish, and we dressed him as a kin, and we had him ride my daughter's pink bicycle down the middle of the aisle. Do you remember that? Yes, some of you do. It really did happen, honestly. There's a video clip of it, the last two seconds, and Andrew Parrish looks like the happiest man you have ever seen (laughs) as he got that bike going. On one level, this image of a donkey being ridden down a steep mountainside was against everything that the people expected. But on another, it was perfectly normal. And I want to explore the normality of it today. So first, um, some of you have been to uh, Israel. I know there's been a a few trips to the Holy Land. You would have walked down the steep hill on the Mount of Olives that goes all the way down. And as Jesus went down there, he wouldn't have seen the dome of the rock in front of him. He would have seen the temple. This enormous building, far bigger than the monument that is on on um, on the mountain of Jerusalem now, this enormous temple to religious and secular power. It was where the high priests consolidated their power over the people of Israel. It was also something of secular power because Herod the Great had rebuilt it to get favour with the people of Israel to legitimise his rule under the Roman occupation. This great big temple was a symbol of religious and secular oppression of God's people. Next door to the temple, almost as big, was a Roman garrison. A huge place for the soldiers to rest, a barracks that overlooked the temple so that the Romans could keep an eye on all the uprisings that happened at the temple. Because much like today, Jerusalem was a, a, um, a cauldron of, of emotional and religious unrest. That any time could erupt, and there could be riots. So as, Jer- as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he is faced with these images, these real-world representations of the power and authority of religion, secular power, political power, and military power, all in front of him. He may have been able to see the palaces of the high priests and Pontius Pilate, which were opposite each other. And he comes on a donkey. But someone riding to Jerusalem on a donkey, have you always been told that that's something quite strange? A bit like we explored last time, the people were expecting a person the right horse, and instead they got a man on a donkey. But for the, the people at the time, this was a resonated true with them, because this was not the first time that someone rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, it said, When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Seba, the servant of Mephibosheth, my favourite biblical name that's other than Jesus. He met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, carrying two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred branches of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and one skin s- skin of wine. The kin said to Zeba, Why have you brought these? The Zeba answered, The donkeys are for the kin's household to rise, ride. And as the story goes on in 2 Samuel, we see David riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's implied in that passage. So David had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. In 1 Kings, it says this about King Solomon. Take with you the servants of your Lord and have my son Solomon, this is David speaking, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Dihon. There let the priest Sadoc and the prophet Nathan anoint him king over Israel, blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. King David rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. King Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Prophets prophesy that kings ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and then Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Going into Jerusalem on a donkey is not as strange as we make it out. The reason why they were expecting someone on a white horse who were bit sword, was they wanted a conquering kin. They wanted a king who would wage a war. The kings who had gone into Jerusalem on a donkey before Solomon, David, they rode into Jerusalem on donkey because they were already the kings. They were the rightful kings. There was no fight to be had. There was no victory that had to be won. Perhaps the reason that Jesus rides in on a donkey is because he is the rightful king of Jerusalem. Despite the fact that Jesus rides in with this temple that in a few years' time is going to be destroyed, that Jesus rides in with this symbol of Roman occupation and the garrison right in front of him, that's going to be that won't last forever. With these palaces before him, Jesus rides in a donkey because he's not there to fight those, because he is the true kin. Jesus' kingdom trumps those kingdoms, kingdoms of religion that demands works, kingdoms of power that subject people, kingdoms of palaces that draw people's attention to themselves and just need more gold and more taxis. Jesus goes as the true king. In Holy Week, there is no jeopardy. There is no Jesus coming on a white horse and he might win the battle or he might not. Jesus always wins, and Jesus was always going to win. Jesus rides in on a donkey because he is already the king. He has nothing to prove. He doesn't have a fight to have because his power is greater than those powers that are there. Even though those powers will seize him, flog him, put a crown of thorns upon his head, even though those powers will nail him to a cross and judge him guilty, he still wins, because his kinship triumphs all that. On Holy Saturday, we don't sit going, oh dear, he, he might have lost. The disciples may have. But the kingdom of heaven does not sit there wondering whether or not he who has died will rise again because they know that Jesus' kinship, Jesus' life triumphs the very worst the world can throw at it. They know the ending of the story. Jesus is perfectly confident in being the true king. I think this has got two things that we need to learn from this. Firstly, it's for us as a community, as a country, as a a wider body of people. It's that I yearn for a church that is confident in the gospel. And normally when someone says that from the front, they're talking about a church that's going to stand up for some Christian rights, going to stand up for... for for Christian values. And that's not what I mean. I want to say a church that knows that Jesus is the true King, that no matter which way the world turns, no matter what the world does, we know that at the end, Jesus will have the victory. We know that at the end, he will be the resurrected one, that he will be the judge over all the world, because he is the King now. That we stop seeing ourselves in opposition with the world, we stop trying to fight every social change, but rather we confidently rest in our Saviour's resurrection and feed the poor, heal the sick, release captives, set the oppressed free, rather than being worried that our kingdom is being eaten away by secular advances. Because dare I say, the secular kingdom will not win. Because Jesus is the true kin. Because he rides on a donkey and not a white horse. Because he has no battle to win. He's there to prove his true kinship. Jesus dies on the cross because it is in his nature to be humble and to serve because he could wipe away the forces of darkness with a click of his fingers. But the nature of Jesus is to be humble to the point of death, even death on the cross. And church, we need to learn this, to be a humble people, not a conquering people, for we are more than conquerors. Secondly, it is for us personally. What's going on in your life? What battles are raging in you? What is it that you're desperately trying to fight? What is it that feels that it's held in jeopardy, that you're not sure whether God will win through or won't win through? Because the answer is to die to yourself and allow Christ's love to raise in you you because he is the king. At the cross, he's defeated the thing that dominates your life at the moment. At his resurrection, he's offering you a life that is more full and more glorious than you could ever possibly imagine. There is no jeopardy in this story. It's not that Christ might make your life new. He will make your life new. It's not that Christ may wipe away those tears of anguish and grief. But it's that he will definitely. Maybe not right now. But we see the kingdom of God breaking through. You know the evidence of all this? It's right at the end of that passage we read. I love the end of this passage. It's one of my favourite pieces of of the Bible. Jesus has entered Jerusalem the holiest of cities he is god incarnate he's ridden in a donkey in this wonderful image of theater there's all these layers of meaning Jesus strides up to the temple. He comes to this seat of religious and secular power. And you think maybe he's going to fight it. Maybe he's going to strip down all that's wrong with the world and put his kingdom in. And do you know how it ends, that passage? Were you paying attention? It says, the hour was late. So Jesus went back and went to Bethany which is about, about, about three or four miles away. <laughs> Jesus was so confident in the message of Holy Week. That he didn't feel the need to overturn tables at that point. He did, well, in, some, in one the gospel he did. He didn't feel the need to, to install himself because he humbled himself to the point of the cross to death that we may receive new life because he is the true King, He didn't need to prove himself. So, church, may we stop trying to prove ourselves, but rest in the confidence of the resurrection. And may we all individually know that whatever is in our hearts, God has defeated. And he restores new life. Amen.